Welcome to Wine Soundtrack USA. Listen to the passion with which producers narrate their winery and their world in 30 Answers. Discover their stories, personalities, and passions. Hello, friends and listeners of Wine Soundtrack. This is Allison Levine, and today we are joined by Nick and Cindy Palumbo from Palumbo Family Wines, uh, Vineyards and Winery in Temecula Valley. Well, we're going to do two people here. So Nick and Cindy, welcome to Wine Soundtrack. And to get started, maybe Nick, you could tell us a little bit about where we are in your family winery. Well, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, yeah, the name, it, it includes family. So this is a family winery, real small place. Um, you know, we're smaller than small. We do about 2,000 to 4,000 cases total production. And um, it's mainly estate grown. We do source from a couple other local vineyards, but we're really particular about uh, you know, the sources of the, of the fruit and make sure that they farm to the, you know, our standards. Um, the majority of our wines sell directly to our private wine club and uh, no distribution. So if you're looking for our wines, you got to get a hold of us. Um, well, that's why we're here today, to get to know you. Um, I'm curious, um, on your property, how many acres do you have? Okay, well, we, we sit on 13 acres total. There's 11 planted. And uh, the tasting room is right in the middle of all the vineyards, and as well as our house. Our home is here, um, and we've raised four children here. And um, it's, it's a lifestyle more than anything. You know, everything that we do here um, is, is because of the winery. We don't have other jobs. This is what we do. Um, and our children, you know, very fortunate to have them grow up in this lifestyle. Um, everything from you know being involved in the business now to rate you know f uh, being in 4-H and raising animals on the property and uh, you know so it's a big lifestyle type of thing for us. Wow. So you you have a 13 acre property how many acres are planted and what grapes are they planted to? Okay well we have 11 planted uh, there's um, Cabernet Sauvignon which is uh, in a low-lying area real sandy um, soils and uh, does very well down there. Up on top of the hill, uh, here where we're sitting uh, in the tasting room, surrounding that is Cabernet Franc, a little bit more um, clay-based soils up on top of the hill. Uh, Cab Franc loves that. South-facing slope is Sangiovese, and uh, then we have Merlot planted uh, beyond that. So three Bordeaux varieties and one Italian. <laughs> yeah. And then are you working with any other grape varieties? You said you buy some fruit, so what other grapes do you work with? Yeah, actually, and I forgot to mention, directly next door, uh, we call it Buon Vicino, uh, our good neighbors, and we've planted some vineyards on their property. So we have Syrah and Viognier on their property, and then in the past we have sourced um, a small amount of Tanat. And um, in order to do some more Rhone-type blends, we've sourced uh, Grenache and uh, Mouved. And uh, so, so we do have uh, you know, a handful of varieties planted on property, but we do use, like I said, some neighboring properties. So for the two of you, um, you, didn't, you weren't raised in this area, and I'm wondering, what is your first memory relevant to wine? How, what do you remember? When was that first time you remember knowing what wine is or tasting it or seeing it? Um, for me, I was living out here working in insurance, and I wanted to get a weekend job. There was only a handful of wineries and I got a job at Callaway back then. And that was pretty much my first introduction to wine. I didn't drink wine before that. I was young, I was 26, 25 when I started working there and I worked there for a year. And then I went to work for Hart, the winery next door and worked there for a couple years. And through working with mostly at Hart, I started learning more and more about wine and um, being introduced to different varietals. I, 
I thought I loved sweet whites, and it turns out <laughs> I like reds. So. Yes, the evolution yes. of the palette. Yes. <laughs> what about you, Nick? What, what's your first memory relevant to wine? Well, you know, it's funny, but growing up with a, uh, a father of Italian descent, you know, you always had some homemade wine being made in the garages and, uh, you know, the gallon jugs with the balloon on top that when it's a certain size, you know, your fermentation's done, that type of thing as a little kid. But we weren't big wine drinkers, uh, per se. Um, obviously, it was around the house, but... Um, my introduction was really, um, I was born and raised in San Diego, and I moved to New York for about six years, um, pursuing some you know, crazy post-college uh, life, and um, was introduced to fine dining and worked in some kitchens. Uh, went to culinary school, and was really, my, my introduction to wine was through the food industry. So, you know, I did everything from washing dishes to prep cooking to uh, becoming, you know, a lead, lead chef in different places. And I was more of a, um, uh, I was passionate about wine in terms of food. Uh, food was my career, wine was my hobby, and then that switched. <laughs> it clearly switched. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, in the years that have passed, you've obviously had the opportunity to taste a lot of really great wines. Was there one wine that stands out as one of those aha moments? It might have been early in your career or on a travel or maybe locally, but one of those uh, memorable wines? I don't know who who goes first. <laughs> Nick has Nick has a better recollection. I I'm usually just kind of along for the ride, but I remember some good ones we've had. He'll say them and then I'll be like, oh yeah, now I remember. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, that's funny. There are a couple wines throughout. Uh, you know, my my path, my journey yeah. in wine. Um, Oh, boy, two, two wines that really stand out. One uh, was a Bordeaux, and um, you know I, I, I'm on the spot now, so I forget which one. But no one worries. of the top, uh, you know, one of the top growths, and uh, it, it was at dinner, and it was just a super elusive, uh, crazy wine that you know one sip it was all graphite and pencil, and then the next sip was just bursting with fruit. You know, and as the as the dinner you know, you know, progressed, so did the wine. Um, and then the other was actually Cindy and I were traveling through and spending some time in Italy. And uh, we were in a small town, Fontarutoli, uh, just north of Siena. And the winery there, the estate, put us up in a, a little, you know, kind of apartment thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyways, long story short, they made a wine called Siepi. And um, it was a blend of Merlot and Sangiovese. And the reason I bring this wine up was, one, it was uh, during that trip it was one of the best if not the best wine that we tasted um, and we traveled all throughout Italy but our base was there and um, the aha moment was uh, when we were traveling through that region we were living here we had the vineyards and living the lifestyle and um, the aha moment was that I was looking around and I said I feel like I'm at work you're looking at the countryside and, and the wines, and uh, I, it was so much like Temecula that we ended up sourcing cuttings from that region, um, VCR06, which is a Brunello di Montalcino clone, and we now have that planted on property. And we make a wine now that was inspired by Siepi, and it's a Merlot Sangiovese blend. Love it. Do you agree with him? Did he? Did yeah. you go? Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I, mean, I knew it would be one of the wines that we had tasted when traveling through Italy. We, I mean, there were quite a few that we were. They, they were so well balanced, and 
inexpensive. That was that was blowing our minds that you could get this wonderful bottle for, you know, what would be five American dollars. And I think we probably spent $100 on wine and about 2000 to ship it home. <laughs> <laughs> Always. Well, so you shipped it home. So I'm curious. I mean, we are in your home. We're in your tasting room, but you live on this property. And if we were to go over to the home side of it, where you have your own collection of wines, what kind of wines would we find in your cellar or your oh. wine fridge or under the bed? I don't know. <laughs> well, it's back here. Um, oh, gosh, there's thousands of bottles at this point. Um, a lot of reds, I mean, obviously, because that's what we would library and lay, lay down. Of your own reds? We have our own reds, but a lot of other reds. I mean, we we're, we can drink our own reds anytime, and you know, when there's half a bottle left at the end of the weekend, obviously I'll walk out here and take it in the house. <laughs> but we we drink a lot of other regions' wines. We, we travel to Paso Robles, Santa Barbara, San Inez. We like to travel around and taste wines. I focus on, nowadays, when we're traveling around, white wines, whites or dry rosés, because we don't do a lot of those. Mm -hmm. We have a plethora of red wines in our cellar and in our private library, but not a lot of whites. So that's that's my latest jam, huh? When we're going places. Yeah, no, that's totally true. And sparkling. Oh, <laughs> so, um, but in your cellar, would you find a lot of domestic wines? Are there some international or particular regions? You'd find it all around the world. Everything. Yeah, with the exception of, I think maybe there's maybe one or two German <laughs> German wines in there, but um, no, yeah, all around. A lot of Bordeaux, a lot of Italian, um, of course, heavily stacked with California. One of the perks of the industry is uh, yeah. it's a small industry. We all know each other and we travel and, you know, we, we share wines. Um, so you'll see, yeah, you know, the the blue chip Napa Valley, you know, big names, the um, the the kind of small, hard to find Paso Robles wines that Cindy mentioned. Um, you know, I think we act, may even have, uh, well, of course, Washington, um, Umpqua Valley wines in there. Um, oh, nice sounding. So yeah. I'm curious, was there anything from your cellar that you opened up recently that drank really well? And if so, what was it? It could have been a white or a rosé. Could have been a big red. Well, yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Yesterday, yeah. perfect. <laughs> What'd you open yesterday? Yesterday, we opened a, was it a, is it a 20? 14. Oh, a 2014 uh, Sangiovese. That of, was of our own. Of our own. Yeah. That was amazing. I mean, we have our own wines cellared back from our first year that we, that we made wine, which was 2000. So we've been open, this is our 20th year as a winery. So we have wines going all the way back, but we opened a 2014 that just blew our minds. It was yeah. amazing. So it, it's fun to go back and remember like, gosh, what did we do during that harvest 2014? How old were the kids? What <laughs> grades were they in? Yeah. It's fun to look back and, and do stuff like that. But that was just yesterday and it was amazing. That's amazing. So I'm curious, um, you're working with a couple different grapes. Do you think there's a such thing as a perfect variety I don't know if that's in the vineyard or in the glass, but what do you think? Is there such a thing? Um, no, it's, gosh, how many times have you heard or have I said this analogy? It's like children. You know, you have your favorites on any given day. <laughs> um, you're, you're not getting along with, uh, you know, or you know, un, unhappy with uh, certain ones for a, uh, periods of time. That being said, for our region, 
Um, of course, and I have to qualify this by saying modern viticulture and modern science and modern approach has changed the game. So all regions around the world, if you're really attentively farming and making wines, you can make very good wines out of a lot of different varieties uh, you know, now than you used to be able to. Mm -hmm. In the past, you plant a Cab Sauv vine and farm it the same way that everybody did around the world. Some regions shined, some regions didn't. Um, I would say that in terms of, a, from a farming perspective, um, Sangiovese in this region is just easy. You don't really have to think about it too much. You just plant it and of course I'm, you know, exaggerating, you have to be attentive, but um, other varieties, you gotta be very careful about where you're planting, what you're doing, your, um, you're just what you're doing to the grapes or, or the vines. Um, you have to work harder at it, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but that being said, uh, you know, weed makes Angiovese, so I focus on that. Uh, some of the Rhone varieties uh, you know, do very well here with a little effort. Um, but that being said, Mouved is, is very challenging. Grenache is very challenging. Um, you know, the Syrah is a no-brainer here. So lots of things work well, but perfection is the elusive. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of perfection, um, you know, a lot of people um, ascribe to wine, to scores. And I'm curious, as a small producer or as a wine drinker, what's your opinion of wine critics and scores? <laughs> well, I mean... There's a lot to say about that. So early on, we we submitted our wines, and, and we were very, I mean, we were young. We've been doing this 20 years. We started doing this in our early 30s when we opened the tasting room. Um, we're much more seasoned now. And I don't think, for us, the scores don't matter as much anymore. It did early on just because it was kind of that pat on the back, like, okay, we're doing good. Um, now, because we're such low production, and for us submitting to different you know, competitions and going for those scores. It doesn't make sense by the time the scores come out, by the time we're sold out of that wine anyways. Mm -hmm. So um, it it's nice to have that accolade, that, that little pat on the back. Um, we, I think we're more focused on making great wines for our wine club members, for ourselves, for, you know, the, the people that enjoy coming here. You know, it, it is nice yeah. to have, but that, we're, because of our size, that's not a huge focus for us. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I'll add to that by saying that, yeah, we did go through that, you know, that process. Early on, it was every competition we could. In fact, to the point where I, I was judging some international competitions. <laughs> so I've been an insider. I've been on, in the, you know, behind the doors. Uh, so I know that world. Um, it's it, 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 like Cindy said. If we were a big winery with a lot of distribution and we need, needed shelf talkers, we needed to sell. Um, then then that's important. We have a drawer full of medals and we keep the drawer closed. You know we don't. It's not really part of our life anymore in terms of the winery. Um, the numbers, the scores from the writers, the magazines, um, we went through that. Uh, we still have good relationship with uh, one or two of them. I do not submit very often. Um, you know, every handful of years, maybe I'll send some wines. They do stop by and visit, and we enjoy time together talking about wines and sharing. Um, that's, uh, I think, important for a lot of the wineries, but as Cindy said, not so much for us. I think for, for the consumer though, is very key, is to not be so hung up on the numbers or the gold medals, unless you know where it's coming from specifically. If you know a wine writer and you know the style of wines they like, 
then those numbers are important. But just a random 92 from who knows what magazine, it, it really doesn't Right, there's no context. So, so if we took all of that out and any preconceived ideas, a quick round here, if you had to choose, red, white, or rosé? It's summer, so rosé. <laughs> a nice dry rosé for sure. Yep. But if it was winter, it'd be a red. Yeah. Okay, so seasonal favorite. Uh, still or sparkling? Sparkling. <laughs> yeah, I am a sucker for a sparkling and a champagne. I tried to get Nick to um, start making champagne or a sparkling, and we kind of, because I buy so much of it because we don't make it. And he kind of went through this whole like, week or month of looking he, and finally he said just keep buying it we have to buy all new equipment just just get it from the store <laughs> well i'm curious so you know um this is a question for both of you but nick you have a culinary background and you said you came to wine through food and i'm curious how you approach food and wine pairing do you think that the hard and fast rules that we were always taught of fish and white wine and red meat and red wine apply or how do you approach it what are you looking for that you can suggest to other people this is how to approach food and wine pairing or is it just drink whatever you want <laughs> a, a little bit of all of that <laughs> yeah um, I, I, I tell people all the time don't be so hung up on these rules um, absolutely and, and everybody will say and just drink what you enjoy and forget about it but there are some there are some rules out there and um, pairings or suggestions that make sense that doesn't mean you can't bend those rules a little bit so it, this is actually interesting I've talked about this with a lot of people about how you know if I've had successes as a winemaker uh, why is that? And, and I've always said it's because of my food background. And I don't think of wine and food as two separate things. I think of it as the same. And my approach to farming, my approach to winemaking, and my approach to drinking wines is, is it's food, it's wine, it's all the same. Um, so when, when I'm making a wine, first and foremost is make it taste good. Yeah, and, and I saw this in the culinary world too, where you know, young chefs, they get kind of hung up on trying to show off or, or you know, like that whole uh, molecular gastronomy kind of you know, thing. Uh, you know, a lot of people miss the point and they were trying to show off something other than does it taste good? Mm -hmm. And they got caught up in, you know, how it should be, you know, it, esoterically maybe you know right. but with with food and wine it's like well bottom line is we're consuming this and it should taste good I know it sounds super simple but I think we do tend to overthink these things and so just simply if you like a wine and you like a dish put it together but are there are there things you look for in a wine that says this is what I want to eat with it or vice versa do you do you approach it wine first or food first um, well, you know, again, I've done a lot of wine pairing dinners with some great chefs, um, and I love working with, of course, this is coming from a winemaker's perspective, <laughs> but having experience in both, I love working with chefs that are open or more, the conversation is more about, okay, what wines are there? Let's taste the wines and then craft the food. And the reason for that is obvious. Um, the wines were made a few years ago. We can't change what we're offering. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, the food you can change today, 
you know, based on you know, available ingredients and all of that. So it's easier to change the food to mm -hmm. fit the wines presented. That being said, we have a lot, we're a winery, we have a lot of different wine selections, so we can kind of work together, you know, give and take and say, well, you know what, I really wanted to do a Grenache, so let's craft the food for this Grenache. But if you say, well, I really needed a steak, then let's find a wine that'll fit. Yeah. So there's a give and take. And do you look more for balance or contrast in pairings? You know, there's always got to be some part of the dish and or and the wine that is a connection. It needs to, to there needs to be a marriage there. That being said, that one component can bring it all together, but there can be contrasting flavors in both that work together as well. But I, I think there has to be one component that, that you know, kind of marries. So, Cindy, for somebody who's never been to Palumbo Family Vineyards and Winery, what do you think they're missing out on? Um, the, the, I think just in general, our property. So, um, Temecula Valley as a whole is very busy. Um, the amount of visitors that we get out to this valley, it's... It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> I mean... Napa, Sonoma, Paso, they, they can't even understand the amount of people we get here just because where we're located from San Diego, Orange County, LA. Um, what our property offers is it is quieter. We're on a side street, we sit up on a hill, we have beautiful views. Um, we try to discourage buses, limos, we don't have a massive parking lot. So it does stay more personable. Um, we have great opportunities to discuss our wines with people. It's not so loud that we're just passing wine back and forth all weekend long. You know, we do have opportunities to, to tell our story. And um, I think if nobody has, if you have not been here, to come up here and just see the property. It's a beautiful property to hear our story, to see what we do, to be at a family winery where we still live on site. Um, we have been doing this for 20 years and we haven't expanded into this giant commercial place. Um, we've, we've made a really nice, peaceful tasting experience for people. That's beautiful. And stylistically, how would you describe your wines? Could you describe your wines stylistically or what you're trying to achieve? Yeah, uh, complex, I think, is one of our early sayings was, you know, <laughs> um, what was it? The simple concept, complex wines, you know. Um, yeah, it's, it kind of our style of wines fits in with what Cindy just uh, dis described about our, our place here. Um, they're very approachable. They're complex. They offer a lot to those that are looking for the you know, quality wines. They offer a lot in, in the glass and on the nose in terms of complexity. They're they're not you know big jammy knock you in the face kind of wines. They're they're um, kind of they are California obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, but we do have some subtlety and nuance. I'm not going to say that they're light wines because they certainly aren't. They have some heft, they have some complexity. Um, but it's really satisfying for me as a winemaker because I look at not regional, I look at the world of wines and, and I have studied the world of wines and I'm, I'm very happy to say that I've gotten a lot of accolades from 
uh, winemakers and sommeliers from around the world. You know, we had a great uh, experience with a sommelier from France. We were there in the Rhone Valley and highly complimentary there. Um, Italian winemakers, uh, even Bordelais, uh, you know, they've had some winemakers here say, my goodness, how'd you make this? Uh, and I mentioned our earlier, uh, you know, off air, um, uh -huh. our Tre Fratelli, which is a uh, Meritage blend. And I had a Bordelais winemaker here and said, how did you do this in California? This is amazing. This is so, so classically um, Bordeaux, you know, um, so, that. so I'm proud of, proud of that. Well, wow. You're, 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 there's another question that I have coming later, but we'll see if that's still the same answer. <laughs> so you live on your property and you've been here for a long time. You know this property. I mean, it's it's what you wake up to every morning and probably stare at when you're having your coffee. And I'm curious, um, we know that every vintage tells a different story, but over the 20 years, have you seen a lot of variation or do you see more commonality vintage to vintage on the larger scale? Uh, with, with us, that's one of the, that's a, another reason why we've stayed who we are and, and stay um, you know, true to uh, you know. I, I say one of the things that Cindy, the word I was thinking when she described the place was authentic. We're very authentic, and the reason we are is because we have we we do what we say we do, and we stick to it. Um, and what that means, how to answer your question with mm -hmm. that, is that we stick to our vineyards. Um, our vineyards are the same vineyards we've been using all along. There are a few I mentioned that we do source from, but we're very um, consistently using those um, to the point where we control, for the most part, the farming on them. So our wines are very consistent. Um, Southern California, a warm region, we are irrigated, so we have more control of year-to-year -year consistency. That being said, there is differences. Of course. Um, I have taken uh, um, more of a kind of a European approach to where I take what's given each year and allow it to be itself and let it express what it has to express, and we embrace that. Uh, I'm, I, we're not the type of winery that's trying our hardest to tweak the acidity or tweak this or that or, you know, different additives that, that winemaker tricks, you know, to make things taste a certain way. We let the wines be themselves. The fact that we use the same vineyards and we are the same people, part of the terroir is the people, mm -hmm. by the way. Um, you know, so we're consistently for the last 20 plus years um, you know, using the same vineyards, making wines the same way, using the same, same barrel program. So there is a lot of consistency that we're proud of. And um, as a family, um, have you set up any sort of good luck rituals or um, traditions that you do at the start of harvest or at the end of harvest? Um, I don't. I don't know that we do any rituals um, over the last 20 years. I mean, when we started, we only had three kids, and they were what three, four, and seven, three, five, and seven, and now they're 30, 27, 23, and 17 on Saturday. <laughs> so things have changed. Early on, we had little kids, so we would take them out there and. But there's never been one consistent ritual. We do um, have a group of friends, I would say for the last, what, maybe 10 years now, the same group of friends that all come out on the first night of harvest to a case of beer. We go out there and then we all kind of sit around and celebrate and we do it at the end too. Yep. And I would say that's about the closest thing we do. Um, the kids are much more involved in it now because they're older, our oldest son works here full time. Um, but but I wouldn't, we don't have any. Well, that's a tradition. Yeah. <laughs> in the vineyard drinking beer at the yeah, start of harvest. Right. <laughs> at the start and at the 
the end. <laughs> end at the end, yeah. So when you, um, living here on your property, um, I'm sure you walk through the vineyards on a regular basis, both as part of your job, but also just because it's right here. Um, and I'm curious what sort of relationship you have with your vines. Have you, do you talk to them and have you been known to talk to them or, or how, wh- how do you communicate with them? Do we ever hear him yelling at them in the morning? Or- <laughs> probably, probably me. Um, I don't know that we necessarily communicate with them. I think um, Nick walks the vineyards quite often just to be able to see firsthand what's going on in different areas. Um, but that's just kind of paying attention to the farming. Um, I don't know that we communicate directly with the vines. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna answer that from a different perspective, and I say we do communicate in a lot of ways. But it's like an old couple; they've been married 50 years, and you ask them, "Do you communicate?" And they're like, "No." You know, they, they go out to dinner, they sit across from each other, they eat their meal, and they don't say a word the entire meal. You've seen the, that couple. Yeah. That's kind of where we're at with our vineyards. Um, we communicate with our vineyards just purely by living in them. Um, interesting time, this is a, a several, several years ago. Um, I remember, of course, we drive through the vineyards to get to our home and uh, Cindy was uh, coming back from dropping the kids off at school and she walked in and she said, um, it looks like the Cab Franc's ready. And this is during harvest. And it was interesting because she did nothing more than drive up the drive, park, get out, and walk in the house. Ah. No testing involved. She didn't take samples and do all the things we do. She just said, it looks like they're ready. And, and she was right. They did. So we're so close to them. And, and So perhaps they're talking to you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They know us better than we know them exactly. at this point. Yeah. And that's true. You know, it's, it's interesting. And the point is, we, and I see it too, every year, you, know, you can see the change in the grapes. There, there's there's a relaxation yeah. to the cluster. They're, they're kind of, and of course this is, Radio, you can't see my my body language, but you know they're very up and tight and, and just holding together. And then when they're about ready to harvest, they just ah, they relax. Yeah, and it's, and it's time. So if space aliens were to land on your property right now, which of your wines, which of the wines that you make, would you want to welcome them with? Probably the Tre Fratelli, our our blend. Um, our Trey Fratelli is from all three of our estate grapes, Cab Sauv, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It is the one wine that we have made consistently for 20 years. Through the years, we've tried to change the um, how much Cab Sauv and Cab Franc, and it's 40-40 uh, of Merlot and Cab Sauv and 20 Cab Franc. We've tried all different things, but consistently for 20 years, it has always tastes the best and true to our vineyards and our winery the way we have it. And that's, I think, our flagship wine. And I guess, you know, if you you want aliens to stay, you offer your flagship wine. (laughs) Are you in agreement or do you have a different wine? Yeah, no, I, you know, that's funny. I, that, that was probably the last one that I would have thought of, but the minute she said it, I thought, yeah, of course, you got to do that. You so what was the first one you thought of? Uh, yeah, I was I was scrambling. I'm glad she answered first. <laughs> Not going to jump in there with yeah. another wine. I get it. Okay. So um, you have been here 20 years, but you didn't start in the wine industry. And Nick, you told us a little bit that you had started in culinary um prior to coming to wine. And I'm wondering, um, what did you guys want to be when you were younger? What did you want to be when you grew up? You, Cindy, you said you worked in insurance a little bit and then tasting rooms, but I mean, 
this was not in your future at no, one point. No, no. <laughs> oh, gosh, growing up, I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. <laughs> that didn't work out. Um, no, this, this was never part of the plan, and I think that's the beauty of it. Um, the way our lives as a married couple and parents, it's evolved. It's, there's ne there was never a grand plan. It happened for us. It was a series of events, coming across the right property, um, just having certain things that we thought at the time were, were horrible, losing contracts of selling the grapes, to then going, well, let's keep the grapes, let's open a tasting room. So it, the way our lives progressed was just an odd series that we just kind of rolled with. And um, I mean, we were lucky that we both never had a true vision because I think that would make it more difficult to live the life that we did. Um, going with it and still trying to keep our family as number one. Um, there was a certain point where we could have blown up. We just, our wine club was full. We had lines everywhere. It was like, okay, let's take the next step. Let's expand. Let's start making more. And then we had a real heart to heart and it was like, okay, then we need to hire more people. We need bigger buildings. We need this. We need that. And now we're managing people and not the tasting room. And now we're away from our kids. And now, so we made such a conscious effort to stay small, true to ourselves, true to our family and um, keep it going. But, but there was never this vision, I want to be a winemaker. I want to be a wine owner. We just didn't have that. So I'm curious, when you look back at your careers, career, not family, because I know family would be the answer to this question, so you can't say family. But what would you say is one of your proudest achievements to date? And I'm sure they're different, but maybe not. Um, staying true to who we are. We did have a lot of heart-to-heart -heart talks before we decided to open. We had the vineyards, we were selling fruit to other wineries, I was working at some other wineries, and we talked a lot about, okay, who are we and who do we want to be? And um, we are still, 20-something years later, we are still that same place. And I, I think that's what I'm the most proud of. And, and you know, honestly, I, you know, early on I knew we had uh, it will steep learning curve for one, and, you know how to do this, and then um, two is our challenges uh, laid out from the the Temecula Valley of the past and the Temecula Valley of today are much different. And in terms of um, you know, be, be totally honest, uh, you know the quality and the expectations. And um, I knew what we were up against. I knew there was potential, having you know been here uh, with my feet on the ground or in the grapes, so mm -hmm. to speak, at other wineries, and I knew we could do it. I and I. And I, I had a sense of what it was going to take. That being said, um, staying true to who we are and the accolades and the acceptance in the wine world in a, in a, in a big picture. I never wanted to be you know, considered one of the better wines in Temecula Valley. I wanted to walk into the room of winemakers anywhere in the world and, and be respected and get the accolades from, from those people. So I, I forget the big fish, small pond thing. I wanted to be just accepted in the big pond and we've done it, you know, and it's, I'm really proud of that, that I have, I feel like I've gotten a lot of respect from the wine world at large, at, at least from those that know of us. We're so small that we don't, you know, but yeah. you get it. What about you, Cindy? Um, I think our commitment to sustainability, we made a commitment to um, become sustainable on our property um, I personally made a choice that we were 
going to start raising our own food. We were gonna use our property for everything it had. We make olive oil, we raise cows, chickens, pigs, goats, lambs, everything. Wow. And that's what we eat, that's what we feed our family. Um, I think early on making a decision like, okay, we are going to live off the land. We're gonna use this property for everything and we're gonna know what we're feeding our family. And to me, that that's something I'm very proud of, that we yeah. were able to do that. Teach our kids to respect food, to respect the animals, to respect the sacrifice, to respect the work, and know what you're eating, know what you're growing. Um, to me, I think that that's one of the beautiful greatest things. Oh. I mean, I like how both of you are very proud of like the overarching achievement over 20 years, what you've accomplished. And well, okay. So when you're not busy growing your own food and making wine and living on the property, what do you guys like to do in your free time? I love the ocean. And I think, and, no, you know, I, I, I was just going to say fish. <laughs> yeah. Fish is a lot. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You know, it kind of ties in with, and this is our ongoing joke here. Um, I, I, I do love to fish. We have a boat down in San Diego and um, I love being out on the ocean. We, we were both born and raised near the ocean. And so that's, I was San Diego. Uh, Cindy was Huntington Beach area. And that was our lifestyle prior to being farmers and winemakers and all. And um, I love being down there. Um, now I joke with Cindy, I said, I'm not going fishing for fun. I'm providing for the family. <laughs> Gotta have a little fish in your diet. Oh yeah. <laughs> we get a lot of fish in our diet. A lot of surf and turf around here. Um, I'm curious, when you guys are planning a romantic evening, your kids are almost all out of the house, but when you're just having a romantic evening for the two of you, what sort of wines will be um, on the table to kind of set the mood? Or maybe this is just how you drink every night. It's kind of how we drink every night. <laughs> I mean, early on, we had this, uh, this, this kind of a joke that we would say to each other is, um, why, why save a bottle for a special occasion? Maybe today, the fact that, you know, we didn't get in an accident. We didn't run a red light. Our kids didn't have meltdowns. Um, nobody stepped on a bead. Maybe, maybe tonight's the night we open this great bottle of wine just because we're here. So we, we have tried through the years, like don't, don't wait for a special occasion. Don't wait for a romantic dinner. Just if we want to open the bottle of wine, open it, drink it. And so, I mean, it sounds really almost snobby to say, but we, we drink well most of the time. <laughs> And, and that makes every night a romantic night. <laughs> you know, on, in, all, in all honesty, I, um, you know, if we had a PR and marketing team, they'd probably say, they'd say don't say this, but our uh, romantic getaways are uh, afternoons when everybody's at school, um, we go down to the local burger place and have a pint of beer. And that's our quiet time together. <laughs> supposed to say it starts with champagne yeah, ends up with a beautiful brunello and yeah. <laughs> it starts Which, with the beer and ends with the beer <laughs> no but you know actually it's funny you just said that you, you just threw out you know a, a, you know sparkling and then a brunello yeah of course we have those nights and and we embrace that um uh, and love it that that aspect but uh, every once in a while it's nice just to as a couple get away and just go relax and let our hair down and, and not be you know and this, you gotta, this is gotta remember work. this is our work yeah. yeah this is what we do for a living so it's not like we we don't have that opportunity all the time so. well 
When you look back in our lives, you know, we're given advice throughout from from our childhood to adulthood, and it can be for how we live our lives, how we approach the world, how we approach work. Is there a piece of advice that was given to you that you try to um, live your life by, or you see that you hear in your head every day? And if so, what is it? And where did you get that piece of advice? Mine would be, um, don't take yourself so seriously. And that's pretty much how I live my life. <laughs> Anybody that knows me knows I don't take much seriously. Um, no, I, I try to live. I, my mom was always just funny, lighthearted, and I try to live that way. And it and it kind of feeds into how I how we've raised the kids. They all have great sense of humor. Nobody takes anything too seriously. Um, we just try to have a good time, and that was probably. That's helped me get through a lot, a lot of stuff <laughs> through the years. What about you, Fred? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta hear this one. Yeah. It's funny. Right now, I'm, I'm, I've had so many mentors in my life and so many people that I've looked up to. So, you know, I'd have to really sit down and, and try to pick one statement or saying or comment from somebody that really guided me. Um, just really um, staying focused on who you are and true to self and don't try to be somebody else. I think, um, you know, I, I, who was it? There was a, a famous writer that said, you know, I'm the only me. Yeah, I, I, I can do me best. I can't mm -hmm. do anybody else as good as I can do me. Uh, was it Oscar Wilde or something? I don't know. It's not a direct quote, but something <laughs> like that. But yeah, you just, just, yeah, just uh, enjoying the ride, like Cindy said. Not, I certainly, she's the, she's the card in the family. She's the fun, funny one. I'm kind of the, you know, the dark, uh, grumpy one in the corner. <laughs> you know, but um, that being said, I'm enjoying myself. There's a little nod off to the side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but just enjoying it, not taking yourself too, too seriously. And um, don't get caught up in, um, you know, thinking that you're, uh, you know, just because you made a, a wine that, you know, some wine writer said, oh, that's a 94 point wine or whatever the case may be. You know, take it with a grain of salt and just say, yeah, okay, well, that's that's great. That's what we're trying to do. But at the same time, yeah, whatever. There's a lot of good wines out there. So complete this sentence for me. A table without wine is like... Wow, mine uh, <laughs> is like, oh, you're the analogy guy, you do it. <laughs> I think that's an analogy for everything. <laughs> yeah, wow, a table without wine. Is, is this a real easy question for everybody else to answer? It's interesting. <laughs> I'm uh, a table. It, it can be simple or yeah. it can be complicated. A, a table is, without wine is like, um, you know, life without joy. There you go. Very good. See, I was going into it like a whole rhyme. I was going to write a limerick. <laughs> Did you write it? No, not yet. It has something to do with there once was a girl from Nantucket. <laughs> going to have to edit here. Okay, I think you're going to have different answers for this. So. This is, this, we're sitting at a big, beautiful brown wood table. Um, we've got your wines on the table, and there are a few empty chairs, one for each of you. And, um, you know, there's some excitement from the outside of the paparazzi looking in because they're pretty excited to see who's sitting at the table with you. I'm curious, from any walk of life, maybe they're not famous, but living or deceased, who would you like to share a bottle of Palumbo wines with? 
Brad Pitt. Oh. <laughs> Wait, no. Rip oh, from Rip. Yellowstone. <laughs> That's true. Those two guys can yeah. sit at the table with me. <laughs> you know, it's fun. A lot of people, um, but we had a couple come visit, and um, so this isn't a makeup believe story. Mm -hmm. um, it was an amazing experience to get um, to know, um, the, the, to not know, to uh, share our, our place with. Uh, so it, this is a real life story. Uh -huh. um, Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell came by, and within the first minute and a half, when they walked in the door, it was like hanging out with close friends. They're very at ease. So that type of person, maybe not them again. We met them. That was fine. They're, you know, they're, They've been here. Move yeah. on. No, I, I, don't, I don't mean to say that, yeah. that you know, it's, it's like we idolize or you know, have this. It's, it's a different experience. So, so people like that in general. You know, somebody that's just very at ease with themselves, very interesting, and, and you can share stories about your life and the interesting places and things you've done. That's the type of people I'm attracted to. Somebody that has a lot of great stories, but that doesn't, um, you know, doesn't have this, you know, air about them that's that's more important in, in any way. I love that nice, you know, kind of like vague answer, non-answer. <laughs> like I've already had someone special drink my wine, so yeah. you know. <laughs> no, and, and I apologize. I don't no, mean to. I'm teasing you. I, mean, you know, I don't mean to name drop, but that type of no, person, no. you know, that's that's who I no, think Cindy a, and I are. That both. was a fun experience. Yeah. Very nice people. Yeah. Um, so we're, 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 we're getting towards the end here. Um, one question I have for you is that if you were being sent to a deserted island, and please don't worry about the heat or air conditioning or ice cubes or anything, just you can only take three wines with you. What three wines from anywhere in the world would you want to have as your last three wines? And luckily you'll get six wines between the two of you. <laughs> um... I would take Veuve Clicquot, that's my favorite champagne. Can I use that of one? Of course. Okay. And I would take our Viognier because it's a nice, dry, high alcohol Viognier. <laughs> that's what I like. Um, and a red. What red? Um, I mean, I'm. I would probably take another one of, this sounds so stupid, of our reds because I know them and, and to me, we can go taste wines, we can spend a whole week in another wine region, and when we come home, we could put them all in brown paper bags and I can tell ours. It's like a taste of home. So it would probably be like our Trey Fratelli or our Merlot, one of those. But those would be my three, uh, champagne, a white, and a Merlot. Well, I'm, I'm happy to say that there'll be some of our wines on the island, because <laughs> Cindy will bring them. So I'll, I'll... <laughs> So I'll go somewhere else. Okay. Um, and um, yeah, of course, you know, sparkling. I'd, I'd bring some just be, just in case she runs out of her Clicquot. <laughs> but I'm bringing um, Paul Roger, mm -hmm. and um, then maybe a Chateauneuf du Pop, mm -hmm. you know, uh, for a red, and then a um, yeah, a nice uh, you know French um, dry rosé. Yeah, okay. and because I'm, I'm thinking, you know, a nice dry rosé on the, hopeful, we're on the beaches, right? So maybe we'll find some mussels and, and find, <laughs> grow some potatoes. We'll have mole frites and, and dry rosé and, you know. Perfect. Yep. <laughs> it's your, it's your island, yes. so <laughs> you can fish to your heart's content. You go. You go. Perfect. So, um, 
you know, we play a little game. I warned you at the very beginning. We play a little game where we pair wine with music. Um, the idea that it, it gives, you know, wine makes us feel a certain way, and music also can make us feel a certain way. So, based on some of the wines we've talked about, your wines, wondering if you can tell me um, what kind of music, genre, specific song, a musician it makes you think of. And um, we'll start with. Um, your uh, Viognier that you're going to take to your desert island. I'm curious also if you're going to have similar answers um, for this, but let's start with the Viognier. Wow, okay, so Viognier, if I'm sitting on my island sipping Viognier, <laughs> I'm probably listening... Or, or in your home, it doesn't matter oh, where you are now. I'm probably listening to some Blink-182, kind of rocking out, getting my night going. That would be my first one. Okay. Yeah. Um, Cody Johnson. Yeah, a little, throw a little country in there. Yeah. Okay, wow. So Blink-182, Cody Johnson. Yeah. You said a, a very, it's got a really beautiful nose. Mm -hmm. You said it's high alcohol. Well, that's kind <laughs> of my thing. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, 14.9% alcohol. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's not but it's hot. hot. Uh -oh. no, 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 it's not hot. It's, it's very subtle and, um, yeah, so yeah. a little rock, a little rock, a little country. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, the second wine is how about your um, Cab Franc? Go ahead. <laughs> Cab Franc. That's a great question. Just you know, I'm just gonna be. I I mentioned I did some other things in throughout my life, and I went to New York and did some post college stuff. I was. I was in a band. I was in music. Ah, we, did, we, we didn't know this part. <laughs> I and did. We, yeah. <laughs> and we toured, we recorded, and did all that. But I was in a punk band. So so some of that punk, or not punk, but punkish kind of you know, grunge kind of thing. Um, so so I have this kind of you know, this kind of punk streak to me. So I'm gonna go out and say you know maybe um, maybe the Melvins, you know something really heavy and hard hitting and and uh, you know. Kind of, it's kind of stony a bit, you know, because that, that Cab Franc's, uh, you know, it's it's a complex, big, you know, boulder wine. Mm. I'd say maybe the Ramones. Oh, there you yeah. go. <laughs> okay, what about your Trey Fratelli? Ah. Your flagship wine, according to Cindy. Yes. So <laughs> describe what you, the flavors of the Trey, and I'll try to think of a song. <laughs> well, it's a very classic, uh, you know, Bordeaux. Um, it, it, and what I mean by that is it does have those nuances of the, the, the you know, the cedar, the pencil and, and the, the graphite, but it, it does pack, you know, quite a bit of complex fruit. There's some floral notes to it that that Cap Franc gives. Um, it's, uh, it's just a really good California version of a Bordeaux wine. It has its California characters in its fruit, fruit forwardness, um, but it also has those nuances, those kind of, those, those subtle hints of Bordeaux in the background. So I'd say either the Beach Boys or Ernest Tubbs. Well, <laughs> we're going all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Totally fine. Okay, and okay, let's just get this, this is go weirder too. Since it's named Tre Fratelli, which is an Italian name, mm -hmm. um, certainly I would pair um, my Sangiovese with this uh, style of mu or t musician, but um, musician, this, this uh, any Americone I'm thinking of. You know, spaghetti Western, kind of a cool, you know. Um, like yeah. So I would do the Tre Fratelli and our Sangiovese with. Uh, oh. Okay. 
We've been talking a long time, but I just do have to ask. Your Merlot-Sangiovese blend that you make that is modeled after the wine you had in Siena that you love so much. I'm curious about that wine. And then and then the game's over, I promise. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the, well, that's the Dua Rossi. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it's a, you know, for Americans, that's a very pretty way of saying two reds. You know? <laughs> um, and uh, it's a wine that we make every year, and we do, we, uh, you know, we, it's, it's not always 50-50, um, Sangio and Merlot, but uh, often it is close to that. You know, 60-40%, you know, we're, we'll kind of play with it back and forth, but... Uh, what music? Oh, oh yeah. You know what? I'm gonna stick with uh, maybe. Uh, well, since I threw that out there, uh, you know, any Americone or you know some some uh, or some traditional Italian music. Why not? Yeah. Barry Manilow. Okay. There you go. Oh. Cindy's just going to keep throwing them out there. And what an eclectic palette of music you have. I love it. Well, you guys have been great. I have um, one final question. It's a two-part question, but very simple. Um, I'm curious, of all the wine regions in the world, what wine region is at the top of your bucket list to explore? Go ahead, Cindy. For, for me, to explore further is in France. We... we we didn't get to spend enough time um, going through France, and so I would like to go through, gosh, there's, there's so much for us. We, we just barely scratched the surface going through the Rhone Valley, and there, there was so much more to see. So I would like to go back there and explore further. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Um, of course, you know, there's always the, you know, Greece and, and there's a, you know, places like that, or, or Sicily, you know, go down, get down, you know, check that out, uh, you know. And that's where my uh, father's you know, side of the family, they're all from. And, and I've been through Italy, but I have not been to Sicily. So I'd like to maybe explore that. But um, but yeah, getting back to our experience in the Rhone Valley and taking our wines there and doing tastings with people side by side was really, really, um, it, it really made us feel good about what we're doing here. And um, I'd like to go back and spend more time, not just in the Rhone Valley, but uh, throughout you know, most of France. Of course, we're doing some Bordeaux, so I'd like to go spend some time there as well. Absolutely. Well, um, you guys should start planning your trips because I think you can take a nice European. <laughs> you can hit France and Greece and, it, and Sicily all in one long trip. But in the meantime, you've got to stay open because people might want to come here. So the last question is, how can people find you? Where can they find you? Um, and what can they experience, um, you know, like, how can they find your wines and how can they find you? The, the only way to find our wines is to visit us here in the tasting room. Um, you can also go on our website. We do ship. Um, we don't distribute. Um, we have all the social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Palumbo Winery. Um, so they can contact us through that. You can follow what we're doing, um, especially during harvest. We're really good at... Um, letting people kind of follow what's going along during harvest. Um, during COVID, we did these live shows that kept a lot of people engaged, but we're, we're fairly easy to find. As far as coming to taste, we don't distribute. You need to come visit us Friday through Sunday, 11 to five. We open during the week by appointment. Um, we live on site, we're easy to reach. And it's palumbowines.com. Easy. Well, Cindy and Nick, thank you so much for joining us on Wine Soundtrack. And um, I'll say cheers to you guys. Thanks for listening to a new episode of Wine Soundtrack USA. For details and updates, visit our website, winesoundtrack.com.